0: So if you're ready to have more time, money, and energy to do what makes you happy and really live life, you are in the right place. Let's build your million-dollar side hustle. Welcome back to your million-dollar side hustle podcast. I am thrilled to have Ellen Yin on today. Welcome, Ellen. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So I would love for you to share, audience, who you are and what you do and also where you got to where you are today, just to give a little background on making your story is and the advice that you're going to share with us today.
1: Absolutely. So I'll try to keep this long story short, but essentially I jumped into entrepreneurship 2018 accidentally, as I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast also experienced. I quit my corporate job very young. I was newly 23. I didn't have any sort of intention to start a business. I was actually planning to continue to apply for jobs and land a marketing role somewhere else. But I ended up getting my first freelance social media client. And I thought to myself, hey, I have these transferable skills that I can monetize. Outside of a traditional job structure. So why didn't I give myself an opportunity to see where this can take me? And, you know, I thought worst case scenario in six months, I can always go out and reapply for new jobs. Well, you know, six years later, that has not happened. (laughs) So (laughs) we, we really quickly scaled our client portfolio over that first year and a half, two years worked with dozens of amazing brands, mostly in the CPG space. So consumer packaged goods. And then around, I would say, mid-2019 is when I started our podcast, Cubicle to CEO. I had also started my first ever coaching program earlier that year, helping other freelancers make their first $10,000 a month through one-on-one services. And that was kind of my foray into online education. And so by the time end of 2019 rolled around, early 2020, I had decided to fully step into the role of educator. And I actually let go of all of my one-on-one clients, my done for you marketing clients, all except one of them, and jumped, you know, right into scaling our digital products and our mentorship program. And that's what we did for basically the last two to three years until last summer, where we went through our third pivot in evolution and decided to adopt a media business model. So essentially instead of being A coach or like the expert that people learn from. We decided that we wanted to make our podcast our primary product, even though it's actually free for our consumers to, you know, engage with. And now most of our revenue actually comes from brand partnerships and sponsored content. So we, you know, have really changed how we're creating content for people. But my heart for mentorship and education has not changed. We still have low-ticket digital products. I did retire my coaching hat, so I don't have any sort of coaching program anymore. But you know, I'm never going to stop wanting to teach people what I'm learning, especially what's working in real time as we're testing different strategies in our business. So it's been really fun to take people behind the scenes with us every week on the podcast, as well as interview incredible guests who are building self-funded businesses, making between $100,000 and $100 million a year. And we're definitely a very women-focused platform, so we're using our podcast, our newsletter, and our content to elevate the voices and stories of other women founders.
0: That's amazing, and I love that you've pivoted so many times, even just in six years. We think of us sometimes are hesitant to choose a path because we feel like if we choose that, we have to stick with it yeah. forever. So. But- I have to dive into these pivots a little bit more. So can you share kind of what were some of the hurdles, what were some of the things that you needed to do to make your first pivot from freelancer to online courses and coaching? Yeah, so that
1: was a scary leap because what's interesting, Anna, is you're right. I think a lot of people are scared of making changes in their business. But I think, and this is something that's not spoken about a lot, people often, when they think about making a change, they usually think, oh, someone's making a change because something they're doing currently is not working for them. What is rarely Mm -hmm. talked about is the other end of the spectrum where things are actually going really well for you and you're gaining momentum and you have consistent revenue. And that can almost be a scarier place sometimes to make a change because you are giving up something that's good for the opportunity at something greater. But you don't know for certain that that greater shot is really going to come through for you, right? So that's kind of where we were at the point when we transitioned into online courses as our primary business. We had a really thriving portfolio of clients. And we were getting so many inbound leads for new services. And so it was really hard to step away from something that was working really well and that I knew had a potential to expand if I kept running with it. But ultimately, what it came down to is I was sitting there thinking about, okay, at the current pace that we're going, if we continue to grow, the only way we can truly scale is by hiring more staff, right? More doers to manage these client services. And I was thinking to myself, five to 10 years from now, do I see myself running a huge agency? Like, Would that be a fulfilling place to end up? And The answer was clearly no for me. And so I knew at that point, it didn't matter how successful we were in the current moment because what we were building towards wouldn't ultimately lead to fulfillment. So I decided to do something drastic. I don't necessarily recommend this for everybody, but in my (laughs) case, I know myself, right? And I know that if I have a full plate of clients, they're going to get my priority and attention. And all of my other dreams, like scaling online courses is going to fall to the wayside to prioritize my clients needs first. And so I decided in order for me to have the white space, both mentally and in my calendar to actually give myself a full shot at being an online educator, I needed to clear the space. And so the only way really for me to do that was to essentially let go of all of my clients, like I said, except for one. And so that was a huge revenue hit for us, but it did give me the runway. I gave myself 90 days to get my evergreen webinar funnel up for what was at the time our signature program. And I said, okay, I'm going to spend 90 days to get this funnel up and do everything I can to optimize drive traffic to it. And within those 90 days, we had actually gotten that product, which previously was making only like $500 to $2,000 a month. We got that annual membership up to 10,000 monthly recurring revenue and then on up from there. So That space was really, really needed in order for me to be able to bring it to a sustainable income, but it was scary to let go of existing income to make room for that.
0: Yeah, but you had actually started membership and that coaching online program that you had prior, so it was something that was at least validated before, And you know, if you put more resources and time and energy into it, it could be something that could grow. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. But it was such a
1: small piece of our business because we didn't have the mm-hmm. capacity to really run at it. But you're right. Always validate the idea before dumping all of your resources into it. that. Such wisdom. And and that's why I believe so much in the concept of pre-selling, especially if you're a first-time course creator. Like, Don't waste your time creating all the content up front, building this beautiful funnel and sales page and pouring dollars into marketing if you don't even understand if this idea is valid or valuable to an audience. And Mm -hmm. so always pre-sell if you can.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. That's everything I teach as well. So let's talk about this second transition that you did a year ago from coach or his memberships to media company. Uh, that's a huge change. And I'd love to hear about that and how you have been navigating this. And you've spoken at a lot of industry events in the last year, like how have you built those partnerships and relationships? Because uh, I think that's something that's really, really important, especially obviously when you're focusing on media, but also just in the growth of any business. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I'll touch on the first piece and then talking about, you know, how we've landed so many stages over the last few years. The media company kind of came out of, again, it was this moment of self-reflection where these tend to happen for me at the end of the year, as I'm sure for most people. But (laughs) the past couple of years, I've taken December mostly off of work. So it's been a nice space to just like sit and think about what's going on, what happened in the past year, what we're working toward in the future. And again, I had this realization Mm -hmm. where I was like, look, the education arm of our business is really thriving. We've had, you know, more than 10,000 students come through the doors for various programs and products of ours. But what I realized is I felt myself, and this was more kind of like a, like an intuitive, like gut feeling. I felt myself kind of being like boxed into this identity of. Being a coach, like, oh, if you want to learn this, like, go ask Ellen about this, like, go ask Coach Ellen about, you know, XYZ. And even though, like I said, I love mentoring, I love education, I felt like the potential of the impact that I could create with my business extended so much beyond just teaching people like how to's, right? Because there's so many brilliant educators out there that can teach people that. What I really felt like was going to create bigger impact was creating a platform and providing basically access to any woman who is building a self-funded business, the access to the rooms and the conversations with people that they may never actually get in a room with. And I knew that the podcast was the best way to do that. I have a passion for interviewing. I, you know, originally going into college wanted to be a journalism major. And so I thought, I want to create a media company where the content is the product rather than content being a way to sell into a product. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I owed it to myself to at least try and see what we could make of this. And so that's kind of what led to that transition last summer. And then as far as building those relationships for speaking engagements, there's a number of ways that we've done that. I'll just name off a few in case it sparks any ideas or further conversation. But one of the ways, obviously, is through the podcast. Regardless of your listener size, I think one of the most amazing parts of hosting a podcast or any form of long-form content channel is that it is such an amazing networking tool. And when you're using your platform to highlight others, the likelihood that someone will say yes to having a conversation with you is so much higher than if you're just cold pitching like, hey, we don't know each other, but do you want to hop on a call and talk about things? Like, eh, People have to know like, what's the benefit of their time being utilized that way. So great networking tool. I think also going to the events that you want to hopefully speak at so that you can actually observe what's happening in the room. So you can actually get face time with the event organizers, make yourself known to them, invest in their Masterminds and their events and their products. The more you show up in someone's community, the more you become top of mind as a potential, you know, next speaker to bring in and highlight. I know a lot of educators, that's a trend I've been seeing, especially a lot of event hosts are more and more gravitating towards sourcing speakers from within their own community rather than looking Mm -hmm. externally. So I think that's really important. And I think lastly, it's just getting really creative with how you can bring value to other communities. And I say this, especially from the perspective of like, we speak at a lot of events that are hosted by people who are not technically within our space, right? Like they're SaaS companies, maybe they create tech products. And when you think about something like that, tech companies are notorious for not having great content because they're not content companies, right? They produce a totally different type of product. So when you're thinking about that, you can say, okay, they may have a great product and I may have a really good audience match for their product, but they are Mm. weak in content. And so how can I find and pitch creative partnerships for me to bring value to their consumer base and build that relationship long-term? Because inevitably then when speaking opportunities arise, It's a natural fit. And that's, for example, one of the many ways that we've built relationships with brands like Kajabi that we've now had year-long partnerships with.
0: That's amazing. Hey there, friend. I wanted to take a pause real fast to talk about the tech stress of building out your online business. Now, if you are looking for the simplest way to start, grow, and manage your online course membership, or coaching program, look no further than Kajabi. Kajabi is the number one tool that I use in my business. It has everything that you need to sell and deliver your program. From landing pages and sales pages, to checkout and collecting payment, to email and creating sequences and also housing, all of the content that you are delivering to your paying members and students, Kajabi has it all. And you can get started today with a free 30-day trial by going to anaconchar.com slash free month. Now, I tried lots of different tools before I finally decided to make the leap to Kajabi. And I can tell you it is well worth the investment. I no longer have to try to get all of these different softwares to talk to each other. I am no longer overwhelmed with the tech stress. And not only that, but Kajabi has the best support. You can get on with their support team via the chat anytime that you are coming across a problem or are needing help in understanding how to use their technology. Kajabi really is the best of the best when it comes to hosting and delivering your online course, membership, or coaching program. And I could not recommend it more. If you want to check it out and you want to see the power that Kajabi can be, go to AnnaConchar.com slash free month for your free 30-day trial. Again, that's AnnaConchar.com slash free month. So you have spoken at a lot of events in the last year and over the years. And there have been a lot of changes, especially in the coaching and media space. So what are you seeing now? What are the trends? What are people talking about? What's working? What's not working? I would love to hear your opinion and input on that.
1: I see a huge movement toward relationship marketing. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is now you and I Prior to hitting record, you were talking about, you know, your expertise in paid ads and paid traffic. And I'm Mm -hmm. such a huge believer in paid traffic, right? Like I think that is what truly unlocked scale for our company. There's no way we would be where we are if we had not invested in ads. However, Mm -hmm. that said, I think people often miss a totally different opportunity to get in front of new traffic sources. And that is through relational marketing and thinking about those strategic type of partnerships that I just referenced, where you're Mm -hmm. having to brainstorm, okay, where does my ideal client or customer already hang out? Because even if your audience is tiny, or you don't have the budget yet to invest in paid ads, thinking about where could I reach these people in a space or a community or container... That they already exist in. Like I don't have to go out and congregate these people. They've already been congregated by someone else, by another organization or brand, or person. And I have to get through to the gatekeeper of that community. How do I find a way to partner with those people? So I see a really huge just interest in collaboration and partnership on a level that I feel like wasn't as big even just a few years ago. So that's really the trend that I'm seeing coming through at these events.
0: I love that. And do you see any trends on like, what are the most profitable digital products right now? What is working? What's not working? You know, I feel like with this industry, there's been such, it's almost like cyclical, like high ticket coaching will be really big. And then Self liquidating offers will be really big and webinars yeah. will be big and challenges will be big. So, I would just love to hear from you like, what are you seeing and here like working well right now?
1: One thing I'll say as a caveat before I even share my thoughts on this is I think anything at any time can work for the right person with the right messaging. So, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a silver bullet necessarily for yeah. anything. That said, I do think that in the past year or so, and it's only continuing to grow, people are feeling very drawn to experiential things. So things where Mm. they have more engagement among their peers, where they feel like they're doing something in real time with other people. So not to say that DIY courses can't thrive because they are absolutely thriving, but I do think if you can add any layer of experiential to whatever you're offering, it only makes someone even more excited to want to join and participate. Mm -hmm. So for example, like the way we do that is through live challenges. Like we have a live course creation challenge for aspiring course creators to turn the knowledge in their head into an online course. They can pre-sell in three days time that we've run now nine times. We're about to do our 10th cohort in October. And that has been such an amazing experience for our community because it's time sensitive. They're going through it live with people. And there's such a high level of accountability and action taking. So experiential for sure. But I still think there is so much to be said about offering low ticket entry points Mm -hmm. into your world through something like a slow funnel, like you mentioned, especially a slow funnel that's fueled by ads, right? Because it is that passive evergreen. I don't know if passive is the best word. I don't love that word. Residual. It's a residual evergreen way to get people into your system and get a taste of what you have to offer and build that trust at hyperspeed versus casting a wide net with a freebie. And so I think I will always be a believer in slow funnels and small ticket products and then you can decide from there how you get creative with, you know, what big ticket items you want to produce for your people if at all because like for us for example, we've never had any sort of high ticket program product for our community the only high ticket sales we do is actually with brands who partner with us or mm-hmm. who sponsor our content
0: so you have said we and us throughout our entire conversation so i'd love to hear what your team look like now how has it evolved how have you found your team members because i think that's something that a lot of us talk enough about is the the support that we have behind you know the scenes, even though we might be the face of the business, we don't do it all, especially at the levels that both of us are at at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love to hear who the we is. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I have the vast team I'm so grateful.
1: we have always been a scrappy lean team, so I've never had at any time more than three full time employees at this current time of this recording I have two full-time employees and then a number of part-time contractors that are more specialized in a specific area like for example our video editor only edits mm-hmm. videos and like that's the only capacity in which we work together but my two full-time team members are uh, Sabrina who is our podcast producer and content manager and then Andy who is our account manager that interfaces a lot with our brand clients as well as helps with member support for our actual community And we've really grown together. I mean, both of them have been with me for, at this point, either almost three years or just over three years. So we have great retention, I think, on our team. But a lot of that comes down to relationship building and being really open with how their role shifts over time. So neither of them started with me in the roles that they have now. We've really, truly evolved and grown together over time. And, for example, like Sabrina, I actually met her when she was still a college student. Like she started with us as an intern and has now grown into what her role is, and so that's how we originally met is I was a guest lecturer at my alma mater that she also attended and graduated from. And then my other employee that I currently have, Andy, I actually have known her for a decade plus. We worked together when we were in college because we were in school at the same time at the local movie theater. Like we were scooping popcorn together back in the day. And, you know, obviously our relationship has changed quite a bit since then, but it, I think speaks to the fact that good people are who you want on your team because so many skills can be taught, but it's difficult to find the right heart and people who are going to support you alongside this journey and be open. To challenging themselves to learn new skills to support the growth of your business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, it's more important to find the right person mm-hmm. and someone you can trust and is excited, just like you are, on your mission and what you're working towards. That's really, really what matters. Yeah. So, speaking of what you're working towards, you know, it's not December yet. So, you haven't had <laughs> your month long sabbatical to do. Um, your internal work, right? But I was wondering, like, what do you want to focus on in the coming year? What has been working for you this year that you want to double down on? Just any insights that you see in the future in continuing down this path that you have chosen of the media route?
1: Yeah, I think our big focus in 2024 is essentially just a continuation of our goals in 2023, which is really the growth of our podcast. That's where Mm -hmm. most of our efforts have gone this year. In terms of what is going to be added to that next year, I think we're going to invest even more in paid advertising for our show. We already have done that this year, but on a smaller scale than I plan to spend next year. So the podcast... Growing that is to be like the premier entrepreneurship podcast is really my goal there. And then also deepening our relationships with the different ad networks that we work with and expanding new relationships with brand clients is always, you know, top of mind. As far as what I feel like I want to double down on, I've done a lot of speaking engagements this year. Actually, all but one were inbound, which I feel so. So blessed and like grateful for it's been really awesome just to be in the energy of different rooms and different people. And I think I want to do even more of that in 2024. And we already have a couple, you know, conferences lined up that I'm speaking at, but I think the difference is that next year we also want to do a bigger push of sponsoring events. So uh, I Mm. just published a bonus episode on our podcast today, number 38, talking about two back to back live events that we Sponsored last week and just kind of walking people through like how we leverage live events to grow our show. And seeing the success that came out of those two activations, I want to just continue to do more of them. So that's another thing that I'm going to keep my eye open for this coming year.
0: Are those two things the things that you've seen the most growth from on your podcast of this year paid at and live events or what? have you found as kind of the key ways to be able to grow up, since this is your main focus?
1: Yeah, I would say that the biggest drivers of growth for us on our show this year have definitely been live events, just exposure to new audiences, mm-hmm. discovering our show mm-hmm. for the first time, and then investing in paid traffic, driving specifically to the show. I think when you think about your podcast like a product, mm-hmm. even though it's a free to consume product for our audience, Because we view it as a product, it's no different than running ads, you know, to an online course or to a service. Like if you treat it the same, you have to market it the same too, and think about Mm -hmm. how are you bringing new people into this into this listener ecosystem.
0: And because I am a paid ads, you know, like nerd, I love everything about paid ads. I have to hear like, can you share a little bit about your paid ad strategy to grow your podcast?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we do all sorts of things, you know, on the, on the engagement ad side, we'll run small budgets towards short form video content, clips from different popular episodes driving straight to our Apple podcast link. We found that with paid ads to podcasts specifically, we only focus on iOS users because Mm -hmm. it's just a little bit easier to take that link click into an actual like download or potential new listener we found then like trying to market to Android and iOS because Android doesn't have like a native podcast app. Right. Although most Android users use Spotify, it's not native to the phone. And so mm-hmm. that's a little pro tip if anyone's thinking about running paid ads yeah. to podcasts. And then we also run a lot of ads to like we have this one freebie that I created back when I had our coaching program that served freelancers. Like I said, we retired that program in August of 2022, so we no longer have it. But the freebie is still a really helpful resource. It's a 10K month roadmap that essentially helps you reverse engineer in five minutes how you would make a $10,000 month based on your own numbers for a one-on-one freelance service. And we have seen like as low as like 50 cent leads on that. And at highest, really like a dollar fifty, very consistently for the past year and a half. So because it's such a proven lead magnet for us, we just drive a lot of traffic to that. And then when people come on our email list, they're finding out about a podcast through our weekly newsletters that we're sending out. So that's like another entry point from an ads perspective into, into the podcast. And then the last thing is actually advertising off of social. So instead of relying solely on like meta ads or Pinterest ads or TikTok ads, actually going straight to the source, to the apps that listeners are listening to shows on and, you know, doing mm-hmm. display ads, banner ads, working with ad networks to figure out how to reach existing podcast listeners, because it's always going to be easier to target an existing listener and get them just to add cubicle to CEO to their show. Rotation instead of trying to pull in a brand new person who doesn't listen to podcasts and get them to adopt a new behavior and go download Cubicle the CEO.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those are all fantastic insights for anyone who has podcasts, Uh, especially the iOS tip. I mean, I think a lot of us forget about kind of that the fewer steps, the better, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. All right. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for today. Before we. Everything up. Where can we find you? Where can the audience connect with you to learn more and to, you know, just really be able to get more from all of the amazing women that you interview and share about on your show? Thank you.
1: Well, if you are a podcast listener, which obviously you are, if you're hearing this, we would love for you to search Cubicle to CEO on your podcast player, hit that follow button. On our show, we ask successful founders and CEOs the business questions you can't Google. So if you're into nerding out over financial data, case studies, getting a peek behind the business at what real-time strategies successful CEOs are using, then our show would be a great fit for you. And then our second thing is if you just want to discover a little bit more about yourself, your style as a leader in your business, and how that affects your strengths and your potential blind spots that are preventing you from scaling, especially when it comes to visibility and sales. We have a short 10-question multiple choice quiz called What's Your CEO Style? You can go to ellenyinyincom slash quiz. takes literally 60 seconds to get through the quiz. And there's a really in-depth results page that's going to break down exactly what your top strengths are, where your potential challenges are, and give you curated podcast episodes and free resources to help you implement what you learn.
0: That I'm going to have to go do it right now after we're done talking. I'm very curious what you are. I'm the change maker,
1: just as a little preview. So if any of you get that, please DM me at Miss Ellen Yin. I'd love to know what type you are.
0: <laughs> love it. All right. Thank you so much again, Ellen and everyone. Go check out Cubicle to see you. Thank you, Anna. Hey there friend. If you enjoyed today's episode, then you definitely need to check out The Powered by Passive Academy. It is my program that teaches you how to make passive income with your own online course, membership or coaching program. You can learn more about it at poweredbypassiveacademy.com/learnmore or if you're ready to enroll today, you can go to poweredbypassiveacademy.com and I'll see you inside the program.